what in the world happened? <laughs> to, written to the exiles in a land, you know, we used to be this great nation, and now things uh, fell apart. And uh, so this is the beginning of that story. Uh, but first, as I was kind of thinking about um, this passage, uh, it dawned on me that it's such a shame that some of the most profound words of wisdom are entirely missed. Uh, this is uh, my son's graduation. It made me think of my graduation, and uh, we have all these speeches that are given that are telling, you know, the meaning of life and all that, and uh, I'm sitting here thinking, man, it is really hot in this robe, and uh, I am just scorching. I'm sweating like a pig in here, and I'm thinking, what's going to happen after this? And I'm thinking, you know, when do I stand up? You know, when's my row get up and move? And, and entirely lost on me. Similarly, uh, when I got married, uh, my father-in-law is here, Merle, he, he married us over in, in Pastor Robles. I'm sure he has some really great things to say, but all I was thinking was, we're getting married! And so it totally, uh, it totally missed me. That's, that's why they take uh, wedding videos. Um, other times in life, sometimes, sometimes last words. You know, if somebody is, their health is failing and they have, you know, they want to share what's most important, but, but because of the failing health and the circumstances, it just kind of gets lost in everything. Um, we, we so badly want to pass on this legacy, but sometimes we just don't know how. We don't do it, we don't do it well. And I actually didn't plan to do a special Father's Day message today, but, but God planned it. It just happened to be that uh, the beginning of this book is so fitting uh, to address dads and, and the rest of us too. And this key question for dads is, what will be my legacy? <laughs> what, what will I leave? What will I, how will I hand this off? And it's really a question for, for moms as well, and grandparents, and coaches, and teachers, and, and pastor. How, how do we pass this on? What kind of legacy? What will I leave to those who follow? There's all kinds of times in life when we sort of uh, face that. It might be just moving from one grade to the next, or, or one uh, town to the next, or one job to the next. Or maybe, maybe uh, like, like us, you're launching kids right now. Or maybe you're retiring or you're looking at the finish line. These, these life transitions uh, bring into sharp focus what kind of legacy are we leaving. And I think that this passage encourages us in this way, and really the central truth, if you're uh, following along with the notes, uh, you can leave a legacy of significance. Uh, it doesn't have to be lost. There's something we could do about it. So first and second kings, uh, just again, since we're just starting into this book, brief overview. Yes, that is my very own artwork. Uh, the, the kingdom was united under, well, first Saul and then, then the legend David. Everybody loved David. Um, but then eventually the kingdom ripped apart um, and all but Judah, the rest of the tribes uh, in the north, um, they were called Israel at that time after they separated. Um, they, these two nations kind of went on separate ways. Um, in around 722 B.C., Israel just got decimated by Assyria. And then eventually uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, got uh, decimated by Babylon and taken into captivity, and they're, they're exiled there. And so that's the original recipients of this book. That's their situation they're in. So there's, there's like just a brief history in a nutshell. Uh, the beginning of this book, it starts off with some drama, some intrigue, you know, potential political coup, and you know, all kinds of good stuff. And I think its purpose uh, 
in, in the book, plot-wise, it answers the question of what happened to the kingdom of David. We remember this big legend, you know, everyone loves David. What, what happened? Now we're a mess, you know, generations later. I think the question it answers for the original readers, the exiles, is uh, how did we get from there to here? What, what went wrong? Did it fall apart overnight? Did David not do the handoff well? Um, is it just a series of bad things that happened? Did God forget about us? And the answer to all those things is no. But it starts to explain the, the story of what happened. But what I really want to focus on today is the personal question in this passage, and that is, what is the most significant legacy that uh, I could leave and that you could leave for dads and moms and grandparents and, and everyone? And what is the best way to impart that legacy? How do I, how do I pass that on? So we'll be in 1 Kings, uh, the first chapter, starting at verse 1, and then we're, we're going to get to uh, verse 12 of chapter 2. So it's a pretty, pretty sizable chunk. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some Bibles in front of you. And on those pew Bibles, this is on page 279, I believe. So let's just start off. Chapter 1, verse 1, starts off like this. Now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, uh, he couldn't keep warm. So we're introduced to David right off the bat, and we know three things about him. He was old, and he was old, and he was uh, unhealthy. And uh, it's making a point that what's going to happen next? Uh, He can't be a king forever, as amazing as uh, David was. And so uh, introduce kind of this interesting character, uh, Abishag. So uh, because he couldn't keep warm, they wanted to find uh, a nurse to take care of him and to snuggle with the king. And uh, this nurse had to have a particular set of qualifications, and mainly she had to be um, drop-dead gorgeous. So uh, they looked all over and found uh, this young woman who would serve in this role. And the passage makes clear that this was not any kind of a, of like a sexual thing. It was a, a medical thing. Um, according to the U.S. Army Survival Manual, which I had a copy of and came in handy. That's a story for another day. But uh, for hypothermia, it says, wrap the victim in a warm sleeping bag with another person who is already warm. So this is, you know, sound military advice. So here we have the aged king. Uh, his health is failing. What's going to happen to the kingdom? And enter uh, Adonijah. Which I believe means the Lord or the master is, uh, is Yahweh. Yahweh is master. He is uh, the fourth son of, of David and probably the oldest living at this time. And verse 5 says this. Now Adonijah, the son of Haith, his mother, exalted himself and he said, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. He got this big entourage uh, to lead him out, and he's going to just make himself king while, while his father is still, you know, is still king, taking advantage of his father's situation. Um, here's some things we know about Adonijah. The passage tells us that he was spoiled rotten. It says that his dad never told him no. And the passage tells us that he was really handsome. And uh, he's the the oldest living and kind of assumed, you know, in the, in the court that this would be the king. And uh, 
So you can kind of get a picture of what sort of guy uh, he was. The spoiled, good-looking, and he's wanting to take the kingdom. So not only that, he has some guys on his side. He has uh, Joab, who is the commander of the, the army, is, is with Adonijah. And Abiathar, who is the high priest, uh, is on his side as well. And so these guys are all, all together and kind of conspiring. They throw this big party, and they invite everybody who's anybody except uh, Solomon <laughs> uh, and, uh, and some of David's kind of uh, his cohort and his bodyguard. But everyone else gets invited to this great big party. So what happens next? Or really, what's the, what's the problem here first? The, the problem is that David had already uh, perceived that God's choice for the heir was Solomon. And David had already promised, made a solemn promise before the Lord that Solomon would be the heir. But David is uh, infirm, lying in bed, while his other son is just basically taking the throne right out from under him. And so it leaves us wondering, what's going to happen? Enter uh, Nathan and Bathsheba. Let's see if I can get all these. I'm just trying to put some names up there because it's hard for me to keep all these names in my head as well. So Nathan, he uh, is a prophet, and uh, he had this relationship with David already. He had this special friendship where he could tell David to his face uh, when David had a problem. We already saw that in the book of Samuel. And then Bathsheba, who is uh, Solomon's mother, one of David's wives. So Nathan comes to Bathsheba, and verse 11 says, uh, Bathsheba, have you not heard that Adonijah has become king, or he's like made himself out to be king, and David, our Lord, doesn't even know it? So Nathan, the prophet, says uh, to Bathsheba, go and talk to David. Remind him about that promise that he made, uh, and then I'll come in right after you. And so Bathsheba goes in, she talks to the king, I just bet that was a weird situation where, um, you know, at one time Bathsheba was, was the young hottie that David desired. And now she walks into the, to his chambers and there is uh, the new uh, hottie, uh, uh, Abishag, tending to the king. I imagine it was just an awkward moment. But anyway, what happens is that, that Bathsheba bows before the king, her husband, and uh, and just, you know, honors him that way and says, remember your promise that, that Solomon, our son, was going to be king. And, uh, and then she reminds him or lets him know that Adonijah right now is making himself out to be king. What, what are you going to do about this? And she's fearing for her life as well. And verse 20, I think, is a real uh, key verse here. If you're following along, I could see you just kind of skipping through the passage. Just hold on. Verse 20 says this. Uh, This is Bathsheba to the king. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of all of Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. It's like the kingdom hangs in balance, and she reminds David of this. Everybody's watching. (laughs) What are you going to do? And I think it's a really good question for, for me, and it's a good question for you. It's like, all eyes are watching. What are you going to do um, when the legacy hangs in the balance? Your kids, grandkids, neighbors, friends, they're all watching and wondering, will you act decisively and intentionally to clarify what is truly most important? 
Everyone's watching. <laughs> are you just going to kind of let things pan out however, or are you going to step up and clarify and seize the moment and say, no, this is what is really important? Well, Nathan comes in and talks to David. Bathsheba goes out. So you see this entering, exiting the courtroom, and uh, here's some of that conversation. Verse 24, Nathan, the prophet who likes to just tell David how things really are, he says, my lord, the king, uh, did you say that Adonijah will reign after you and that he'll sit on your throne? Did, did you say that? Because uh, he's acting like it right now. Um, is this what you wanted? Verse 25, uh, for he, Adonijah, he's gone down this day and he sacrificed these oxen and cattle and sheep in abundance and he's invited all the king's sons and the commanders and the Abiathar, the high priest, and they're eating and drinking and everyone's saying, long live King Adonijah. Uh, are you going to do something about this? All eyes are on you. Again, he asks a question, verse 27, uh, has this thing, you know, the Adonijah thing, been brought about by the king, by you? And have you not even told your servants who should sit on the throne after you? David, did you decide this? It, again, it comes back to, you know, our lives, the application. Uh, life's kind of unfolding before us. It's like, is this, is this what you wanted? Maybe you made these promises. I'm going to be this kind of person. I'm going to leave this kind of legacy. And now you just kind of are laissez-faire and just sort of let it, let it happen. Maybe you said to your kids and grandkids, follow the Lord, but your actions say, oh, follow the American dream. Maybe you said, well, character is really more important than comfort, but your actions, maybe, maybe it says otherwise. Or maybe you've said, well, people are more important than possessions, but then is that how it really looks like in your life when you have a chance to clarify real values Maybe you said, love and cherish till death, but your actions say, well, just look out for our own interests. I think we all need a, a Nathan in our lives to come and just tell it like it is sometimes and say, hey, you said this, but now all eyes are on you. What are you going to do about it? Will you act decisively and intentionally to clarify what is most important what do your actions or sometimes your inactions indicate about the legacy that you will leave? So David uh, does respond. Sorry, I have some clicking here. And he responds decisively and intentionally, as we hoped he would. So, you know, Bathsheba was in, she went out, Nathan came in, and now Bathsheba comes back in. And verses 29 to 30 of chapter 1 says this, And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, uh, First and Second Samuel tell about all those adversities. Verse 30, As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so, I will do it this day. He acts. That's what... We're called to do, to step up, seize that day. So in come some other characters. There's uh, Zadok, who, who is another priest, and Benaiah, who is a kind of David's close bodyguard. And David uh, tells uh, Zadok and, and Nathan and Benaiah, and he has this kind of elite task force also. He says, okay, get Solomon, put him on my royal mule, and anoint him as the king and blow the trumpets and celebrate this as the new king. Just do this right now. And Benaiah says, 
Amen. <laughs> and then he says, may the Lord make Solomon's throne even greater than yours, David. Um, it's just a great, a great moment as the, the pass-off is made. And enter the crowds. The crowds hear, see this anointing taking place and the trumpets, and they all start cheering and partying, and yay, we have a, we have a new king, and it's very exciting. Meanwhile, uh, at the party... Adonijah is having, you know, this big deal, and he's trying to usurp the throne, and they say, what's all this noise about? What's going on? I hear all this racket in the streets. And as they're wondering this, this guy named Jonathan runs in. And he's like, oh, Jonathan, you're a good man. You must have good news. And uh, Jonathan did have good news, but just not for uh, Adonijah. <laughs> and in verses 43 to 45, we, we see uh, Adonijah, you see the news of Jonathan to Adonijah, and he says, uh, actually, David's uh, made Solomon king. Uh, and uh, Zadok the, the priest is with him. And also Nathan the prophet's with him. And uh, Benaiah the bodyguard, yeah, he's, he's with them too. And David's elite force, yeah, they're there. And he's riding on the king's royal mule, you know, the symbol that he's the king. Uh, and they've actually gone ahead and anointed him, and the whole city is cheering, and that's the noise you hear. So uh, I'm sure I thought of what all of you thought of. I mean, none of you thought of. In uh, Tim Burton's uh, Alice in Wonderland, when um, the knave of hearts has the bad news, he says, Your Majesty, Alice has escaped. Slap! On the bandersnatch. Slap! With the vorpal sword, slap, it just gets worse and worse. And I feel like that's probably how Jonathan felt uh, during that moment. So anyway, you see now Adonijah is all alone there. His guests all flee, they go hide, they run, and it's just Adonijah. And he runs to the altar of the Lord, and he grabs onto the horns of the altar, and he just begs for mercy from the new king. And the king comes in, Solomon and he grants him that mercy. And he says this in verse 53, where it says this about Adonijah. It says, Adonijah, he came and he paid homage. You know, he bowed himself, he worshipped King Solomon. King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go home. It's kind of his only thing. Don't cause any more trouble. You're fine as long as you, you know, are not a problem. And uh, so... Ah, the coup is squelched, the usurper bows, the rightful heir is enthroned, but the story is not over. In the next chapter, in chapter 2, we have um, the, the final kind of profound legacy words of, of David to his son Solomon. From, from father to son and also one king to the next, we have these words of wisdom, and that's what I want to focus on. Uh, in the rest of our, our time this morning. There, there's three things that, that I think he, he passes on that are real valuable and we can learn from. The answer to the question, what's the most significant legacy I could leave? That's what we want to do is make our lives really count by what we leave. He says in verse... Whoops. He says in verse 2... Um, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. He encouraged them to be strengthened with, with courageous character, first of all. 
David's dying. Solomon's the king. He's like, this is my last hurrah here. And what I want you to know above all else is you be a man. <laughs> be, a, be a man of character. Be, be strong. Be courageous. Dads <laughs> and moms, grandparents, call the next generation to courageous character. Uh, some of you, Callie and my daughter and some others have been at, um, at Hume Lake Camp, and they've gotten the bracelets that say HPI, which stands for honesty, purity, and integrity. That courageous kind of lifestyle that just does what's right and, and says the truth. We want to call up the next generation. Be this kind of person. Above all, be strengthened with courageous character. Then, then he goes on, uh, be real careful to live by God's word. Verse 3, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, just as it's written in the law of Moses. It's like it's not just, um, you know, it's not just from your own heart or your own strategies or your own whatever, but it's relying on, on God's word, the truth that he's given us. And David says, you know, if you, if you root yourself in this, if you make your life about this, about God's word, then that's when you'll be doing right as a king. That's when you'll be living the real, true life. And we see these same kind of words at the beginning of Joshua and at the beginning of the Psalms. Um, Joshua 1, uh, verse 8 says, uh, The book of the law, this God's word, it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. You know, think about it, consider it day and night, so that you'll be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Because then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Real similar words in the beginning of the very first psalm. Uh, Here's the first three verses. It says, Blessed or, or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You know, he doesn't surround himself by all these other, you know, nonsense. But instead, he delights, he just loves the law of the Lord. And in the law, he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted in the streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season, its leaf doesn't wither. And in all he does, he what? He, he prospers again. The good life, the blessed life, the prosperous life, it comes from following God's word. Okay, the third, third thing I think he passes on is this. Be certain that true prosperity comes from God. Uh, picking up the middle of verse 3, uh, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their walk, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So I think what's happening is he's, he's uh, describing the source of the blessed life, but he's also defining the blessed life. This, this is what it means to live. This is the good life, is to live according to God's word. And uh, here's this major distinction that I'd like to, to make that I think is a key. Because popular wisdom, so to speak, says, follow your dreams and claim your happiness. Make your happiness. Grab your happiness. This is... Um, this is the summary of most high school graduation speeches, and I've, I've been to a lot of them. The most recent speeches I heard were, were actually uh, kind of exceptions to this. 
for the most part. This sense of grab it, claim it, your dreams. Well, this says the flip-flop. It says follow God's word and he gifts you the happiness. <laughs> you don't make it or claim it or, or just you know, follow it. He just hands it to you. Here you go. The blessed life. We see this in the New Testament, just a couple of verses briefly. These are both in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about the meaning of life and the kingdom. In uh, verse 6 of chapter 5, he says, Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because uh, they'll be satisfied. They'll be happy because they'll get what they really wanted. You want righteousness? You get righteousness. And then in, uh, in the next chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and, and all these other things, I'll, I'll just take care of for you. All these things will be added to you. Seek God in his word. Build your life on that, and he will take care of the rest. Well, this is, this is the best advice that David, the king, could have given to his successor, what a father could give to his son. Uh, he follows this up with some, uh, honestly, it seems like questionable advice. And he goes on uh, kind of wrapping up some loose ends in the kingdom. He's like, Joab... Uh, you know, uh, take care of him. Don't let him live. Uh, this other guy, he, um, he helped me out when I was uh, fleeing for my life. So, you know, protect him. And it's kind of, it's, it seems like it's sort of administering justice and, and, and finishing up some loose ends. Um, but quite honestly, I don't know all of that, uh, how good of wisdom that was. Uh, but the heart, the focus is on these three things. Strengthen the character live by God's word, and then realize it's God who gives the true prosperity. Okay, so this is what we want to pass on. And, uh, and just briefly from this passage, uh, he also gives some good tips about how we do this. Uh, I'm just going to mention kind of briefly here. What's the best way to leave a significant legacy? Well, first, to impart a significant legacy, make a decisive resolve. We saw how all eyes were on David. What are you going to do? And, and he did. He's like, Make him king right now. Go down, get my mule, set him up, anoint him, make this happen. It's like he just decided, I've been wasting my time long enough. Secondly, to impart a significant legacy, uh, intentionally engage. I, I mentioned it, but I didn't really read the verse from the first chapter, verse 6, uh, where it says uh, uh, Adonijah's father. It doesn't even name him there, but it, it's obviously David. Uh, he had never at any time displeased Adonijah by asking him, why have you done thus and so? He was totally hands-off as a dad, and you see this wreckage in his, in his uh, family uh, because of that, among other things. And I think sometimes we tend to, um, to be hands-off. It's just easier, maybe, maybe with, especially in parenting. And there seems to be a trend, especially with passing on the faith, to say, well, we just won't really make a big deal about that and let our kids uh, decide what they want about spiritual things. And I thought, well, here's the real problem with that is they're, they're not in a, a vacuum. There's all these other voices, all these competing worldviews that are, that are clamoring for that. And to take the philosophy of this real hands-off approach, that in itself is a worldview. That is a value statement that says spiritual things, eternal things, those aren't important. And so by being hands-off, you are communicating something loud and clear. This stuff doesn't matter. So it's like, take it or leave it, sort it out when you have time. But uh, we see in this passage, no, it's critical. Engage, 
It is a really big deal. Okay, third, to impart a significant legacy courageously in trust. It's really interesting. Uh, David uh, doesn't just um, say who the king's going to be. He says, go crown him right now. Put him on the throne. And he actually says, uh, verse 48 of the first chapter, that uh, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who's granted someone to sit on my throne this day while my own eyes see it. He didn't wait till he was dead <laughs> to hand over the throne to Solomon. And we need to do that too. Release our grip. Let him, let him run. Let him run with, with the faith of their fathers and trust. And finally, uh, start today. A few little interesting tidbits about the legend David, who was just such a great king. Everybody loved him except his enemies. Uh, as a father, he blew it. As a husband, uh, he blew it. As a king, toward the end, he, he arrogantly made this census that everyone said was a bad idea. He, he blew it. Like he blew it in his job, so to speak. Maybe you've blown it in your family, in your career. It's not too late now to leave a significant legacy. It's not too late to start now, even though you might have failed in the past. But one day, it will be too late. And here we see the end of this passage, uh, verses 10 to 12. It says, Well, then David slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years, and he reigned seven in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. And Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. So there did come a day when he had nothing to say about that anymore. The legacy was what it was. It was for Solomon to pick up and run with that. And so I think this is the challenge for all of us, just kind of in conclusion, is to get a grip on what's most important in life and then start sharing it with the ones you love. Really come to grips with, wow, what things are, are eternal? What things really matter? What things do I want to pass on? And then, and then do something about it. <laughs> tell somebody. Tell your kids. Tell your grandkids. Make that phone call. Write that letter. Whatever it might be. Is stand up. And, uh, and take some action. I love David's comment to his son. is just, uh, be a man. <laughs> you know, it's time to step up, Solomon, and, uh, and carry the baton, the next leg of this journey. Well, God knew that uh, he wanted you to have a Father's Day message today, even though that I didn't know that until I started really studying it. But uh, what a, a great account of a legacy passed on well. And uh, may we do that in our lives uh, let me just give thanks to God for that. Uh, Lord God, you are just amazing. And uh, I'm thankful for, for this kind of really interesting book of, historical book of First and Second Kings, and yet it really uh, hits the place where, where we are and in our lives and the things that, that are most important. May we uh, really come to grips with what really matters and then do something about that to pass that on. And... Uh, Lord, we just love you and are thankful for this time together. Amen.